Welcome to today's podcast from Nature 2030, an international campaign bringing together business, governments and the third sector to work together on the environmental challenges of this decade. These podcasts are part of our quest to bring together influential activists, politicians, business and thought leaders to focus on solutions to the climate and environmental crisis. Today, we are lucky enough to be joined by client scientist, activist and businesswoman Juliet Davenport. Juliet is founder and CEO of Good Energy, one of the UK's first entirely renewable electricity suppliers and generator companies. Good Energy was set up in 1999 at a time when only 2% of Britain's power came from renewables. Fast forward 20 odd years and Juliet has become a figurehead for climate change action. She sits on the boards of the Renewable Energy Association and Innovate UK and is vice president of the Energy Institute. In 2013, she was awarded an OBE for services to renewable energy. And in July of last year, she was appointed as the board member of the Crown Estate. Welcome, Juliet. Thank you, John. So let's go way back. When did you first start thinking about the environment? Um, so so my, my upbringing was not environmental at all. So uh, my, my father was actually a rallying co-driver. And I spent a lot of my early childhood on the side of either a racetrack or in a forest watching fast cars. Um, so my environmental epiphany, I guess, came when I was at university and I studied science. I studied physics um, and my third year I studied the physics of the atmosphere. And it was at that point you kind of I got how special our planet was, um, that we could sustain life and that our atmosphere was a key part of that. And the fact that if you start to change the fundamental way it works, that you will then potentially impact on how we live on this planet. And that that was really the start of my journey there. Mm. And what led you towards renewables then? So I, I was pretty energy. I, I wanted to work in the energy sector. I kind of realized that energy was probably one of the biggest challenges. Um, and I actually worked at a European level on policy, energy policy. And I was pretty technology agnostic um, when I arrived. And I think it was uh, watching all the geopolitics uh, at a European level related to energy, understanding kind of what had blocked things, how countries tried to hold on to their their own technological preferences. Um, and for me, renewables was really interesting because it was it became less political because lots of people have renewable resources. Um, also, it the the actual resource itself was not owned by anybody. So nobody can own the wind or own the sun. And so it became um, more empowering, I guess, to individuals. And that's why I really liked it and chose it in the end. Wow. So so tell us a bit about Good Energy today, because I know that it had a real, real, real journey get, getting to where you are today. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so there were some lots of early ups and downs like there are with any start, startup. But um I guess Good Energy today is on is on a sort of has a vision of 100% renewable Britain, um, trying to figure out well we have significant technical resources in this country. How could we deploy them? What would that mean for consumers and customers? Um, what does that look like in your house or in in your business? Um, and how do we facilitate that as a business? And I guess our long term vision is that. In, in the long run, this is not going to be so much about power. It's going to be more about data. It's going to be lots of individuals generating some power, people using electric cars, maybe uh, electrification of heating as well. And then all of this adding up um, to 
how do we balance the system and how do we manage an overall system with all these different players in it? And it sounds a bit complicated, but I think it's really exciting because it actually empowers consumers to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. And you've and you I think you've touched on it already, but what's the biggest kind of changes you've seen in the sector over the past um, couple of decades? Well, I think when when I came into the sector, two percent renewables for electricity was pretty um, minimal, and most people were very dismissive of renewables. Uh, anybody in a position of power didn't think it was an important part of the future, um, didn't believe it could be deployed at scale, um, didn't believe it could be employed economically. Um, so I think there was there was a huge belief gap, I would say, across the whole mm -hmm. of the industry, whole of government. Um, and it's taken a long time. I mean, the transition now is that, of course, we can do this. And it's one of the cheapest forms of technologies. And um, individuals can deploy it. And it's a simple technology. Um, I think there, there are so many myths about the sector that have been busted over the last 20 years. It's extraordinary. And, I, and I, I, what I think is a little sad is I think there was a piece come out yesterday that a lot of householders and, and homeowners still don't realize actually how much renewables we generate in this country. I, yeah. um, I mean, I think it was people assume it's about 10 percent. I mean, it was it's up to 50, 60 percent at the moment at this time yeah. of year. Um, yeah. So it, it's a significant technology. And I think they were all told that we would have to cover the whole of the UK with with solar panels and and wind farms to get to that kind of level. It's just not true. We have yeah. extraordinary resources onshore and offshore. Um, so for me, that's the bit that needs to catch up now because the industry and government can see the future. Yeah. Now I remember I, I was a journalist twenty years ago when we were looking at these stories, and and and, and the biggest argument against wind back then was always, well, what what about when it's not not windy, you know? Yeah. And, and that was this, and you don't really hear that anymore. You had this kind of idea, oh yeah, but, but if the wind stops, then then everyone's TV turns off and and all the rest of it. And that was quite and, 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 and the same thing with the solar panel idea, you know, we're not living in a sunny country, so they'll never work here. So I think there is still some of that, as you say, people don't realise quite, quite how much there is. Why is it so vital that we shift away from fossil fuels? Uh, I mean, climate change could fundamentally change the way we can live and our capacity to live on this planet. Um, and I don't know about you, but I, I keep looking at Mars and we talk about Mars a lot. It's not a planet I fancy living on personally. Um, it, it doesn't have protection from solar radiation in the same way as our planet does. It doesn't have an atmosphere that promotes uh, sort of the, the green of our, our land and the blue of our ocean. I mean, and, and that we have a small blue green planet. Um, and there's a reason for that. And I suggest that if we carry on burning fossil fuels, we'll make that less blue and green. So let's not chase after those little green men. Let's have the green men here. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, what's what's some of the biggest barriers you faced on your journey in the last over the 20 years that you've been in this? I guess um, I, th I think it's a combination of barriers. So um, I think we talked about one of them, the sort of belief barrier, people not believing in in this. Um, I think there have been lots of regulatory barriers that have taken a while to move, but they eventually do move. I think attitudinal barriers as well. Um, being a female founder can be quite tough. I've definitely felt that. 
we have a, a pretty difficult one of our shareholders is also a competitor. They've made it very clear that they don't believe in what we do, which is a shame. So that's been a bit of a barrier. Um, but it, but we kind of got over it. And actually, I think despite all of those, despite the um, things that have got in the way, we've actually done really well. We've made big shifts and big changes in the marketplace. And are you still facing, do you, do you think that uh, female founder thing has changed over the last 20 years? Is it still as hard to be a female founder or leader? I think it's, I, I, I think for a long time it hadn't changed. So, I mean, being a female leader, one of the challenges really is not, it's not so much external, but it's um, a lot of people find it hard working for a woman. Um, a lot of people uh, sort of don't, it's, what, what I find is that you can talk through something and you talk about a vision of what you're trying to do and then people just don't believe you. And I think um, if you were a bloke, but they would believe you. And, and that's the frustration, I guess, mm-hmm. is that that gets in the way. I think it's less now. I think people are becoming aware of diversity of thought is really important and making sure that you have um, diverse organisations to be able to take opportunities and look forward. Also, I mean, personally, it's much more fun when you have a diverse set of people. Um, Mm. It's much more fun working. And I think companies do much better when you have that diverse input. Let's just talk about one of the um, uh, one of the many things that you're supporting and on the board of. Uh, you've you've joined the British Academy's Future of the Corporation project. Yes. Can you just explain to us why you're involved in that? So for a long time, we've um, so when we set up the company right at the beginning, we were really clear about what the purpose of the company was. So so we didn't we we set up the company to be incorporated as a for-profit business but the the idea was always to make change in the industry so we had a vision and a purpose right from the offset and um one of the challenges you always have is uh we then became we crowdfunded the business early on so we had lots of shareholders so we became a listed business Mm. um and one of the challenges always is directors responsibilities to shareholders above all others now there are some nuances around that, obviously, and and directors can take into account um, lots of different stakeholders in a business. But I think in terms of actually businesses playing a positive role in society um, and actually coming in and enhancing society rather than undermining society is good for everybody because their employees have to live in that society uh, their their customers have to live in that society. So businesses can be a force for good. Um, and I think we're seeing that even more than ever. The future corporation work is really how do you um, pull that through from a regulatory point of view and make it sit within a business so that directors in those businesses don't feel conflicted? And I think B Corp goes some of the way to do that. And I think we've already seen sort of businesses start to go on the B Corp journey. But I think there's a wider piece where Future Corporation is looking at what can countries do to support businesses that are really trying to be purpose led and be positive in terms of supporting society as a whole. Great. Are there any businesses apart from your own that you've been particularly um, impressed with recently? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I've been talking to a lot of businesses. Um, who who do I think is really impressive recently? Oh, that's a that's a really interesting question. So I think there's some really interesting businesses, um, some interesting startups coming into the sector 
particularly around um, transformation of the transport sector that mm. we're seeing with some really innovative ideas, innovative technologies um, that that are really exciting. So, uh, and that's going to help organisations suddenly take make EVs easy to do. Mm. Um, so, I think that's really exciting. Um, in terms of, I think some of the the, the most interesting areas is going to be is that what are, what are the big companies going to do? How are they going to go on their transformation journey? And that's a bit I'm actually really interested to watch and to see how we can keep, because they have huge amounts of capital that needs to be deployed in a low carbon way. And if the oil and, and gas majors actually get their act together, um, some of that could be really interesting. So uh, that that's kind of where I'm focusing at the moment to kind of see what changes are, which ones are going to win and which ones are going to go go by the wayside. And you're actually involved. Um, Good Energy is involved in in that in that market as well, aren't you? And the kind of yeah. So we we took a majority stake in something called ZapMap, which is yeah. a mapping service, um, and that's really that's that's sort of that is a data service essentially what's really interesting is when you start to add it up with new businesses in the new model of ownership so the next generation are they really going to own a car aren't they just going to lease a car um and if it's going to be an electric car how are they going to make sure that you travel from one place to another um and where's that car going to be and i think that there's some really interesting models coming through that are going to challenge the typical models that we've seen previously Great. What's what's the simplest thing that consumers can do to tackle climate change? Do you think? So I kind of have I have the four key things that I think everybody sort of does every day. So you 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 power and light your house. So simplest thing: switch to a green electricity supplier, obviously. Um, and if you get up an opportunity, why not put a solar panel on your home and power your own home? Mm. Then looking at how you're heating your home. So there are new heating technologies coming through. So heat pumps, really interesting technology. Electrification of, of heat is going to be the next step. But also making sure you've super insulated your home and you're not wasting any heat today. Mm. Um, third one, how do you get somewhere? So how do you transport yourself? Uh, walk if you can walk, bike if you can bike, public transport. And then if you have a car, change it to electric vehicle. And then finally, what you eat uh, is, is the kind of key part. So move towards a plant-based diet if you can and just start to think about where that where that food comes from whether it's locally grown or not and if you have the opportunity uh, I started planting my seedlings last week um, growing your own is the ultimate in low carbon. What do you think is the biggest barrier that we face as a planet uh, standing in the way of reaching net zero? Ourselves basically I mean I think we know that the technologies are out there to do this. Um, and the, the, the issue is to make such big changes, you have to change the way we operate as either organizations or um, policymakers or politicians, because we are so vested in what's already there. I mean, if I give an example of another country, so in Vietnam, they're now deploying significant amounts of solar on rooftops in, in Vietnam. Um, and that's fantastic. But uh, the Japanese funded coal power stations there years ago, um, and they're on 30 year leases. 
And what this means is when there's too much power now in the in the Vietnamese grid because they're producing loads of solar, they don't switch off the coal power stations, they switch off the solar parks. Oh. And for me, that is the thing that is getting in the way. It's the existing infrastructure. It's the existing incumbents. Mm. We kind of have to release ourselves from that. And that's why I say we are the ones who are getting in the way because we're stuck with this old world. Mm. The new world is waiting for us. We just need to find a way to navigate to it. Who inspires you? Well, that's a great question. So, um, Sort of for a very long time, I, I didn't really have uh, one individual who inspired me. And then I have to say Greta Thunberg came along and she was just brilliant. I guess her talking to power. I mean, I think when you've been on a long journey for 20 years, like I have, um, sometimes you you doubt yourself or you you get you get you, you lack in energy sometimes. And, and I think Greta gave me a boot up the backside, to be honest. Um, she kind of made me go yeah this is that of course I should be doing more and as much as I can and not trying to get too comfortable I should be putting myself out there and saying more which is kind of probably why we're doing I'm doing more advocacy work I'm doing more speaking work than I've probably ever done before yeah. um, and I put that down to Greta yeah well she's an inspiration to all of us um what's been your biggest failure my biggest failure um Probably not. I, I, so, so back in 2008, when we had the downturn in 2008, um, uh, there was a lot of fear around. A lot of people got very worried at that time. And we we closed down the hatches. We stopped doing everything. Um, and actually, I think that was a really bad decision because it meant that when we came, when, when things started happening again, um, Actually, if you look at that recovery, it was one of the highest carbon recoveries ever. And we went to using more CO2 emissions afterwards. And I kind of wished I could have been more outward looking at that point, had more influence with government, um, basically talking about a lot of the things we've been talking about this time, which is building back better um, and thinking about the future of a green economy. Um, because I think that recovery set us back from a climate point of view quite significantly in the mm. UK. Um, and actually as a business as well, we took quite a long time to then get moving again in terms of pushing forward and, and deciding where we were going to go because, because we were fearful. And so I think fear is something that gets in the way very easily. And I, I regret that we didn't keep pushing forward during that time. And what do you what have you been proudest of? So I think I think I've been proud of making making a difference in the energy market. So when we came into the market, small generators weren't a thing. Um, they weren't considered proper generators. Today, there's over a million small generators generating power in the UK, uh, which is really exciting. I think also most recently we've been doing a lot of work on greenwashing and bringing to the it's trying to hold the, our regulator to account on making sure that consumers are protected in the future, not just on green electricity, but also on green investments on different areas. And I think this is a really important part of make, uh, being able to do this transition is take consumers along the, for the road with us and making sure that anything that they want to buy that's green really is green. Mm. And finally, if you can just give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? So I think um, if if 
and it, it the trouble is it didn't really exist then but if I could have done I would have become a B core at the beginning of our organization I would have managed to somehow put it into our articles our purpose because I think it makes such a difference to a business being able to fall back on that always that is a consistent always in a business um, and it means that whatever happens in the future unless unless somebody is going to make a concerted effort it will still carry on doing the work it's always set out to do and that's what I kind of would advise myself and actually when I talk to lots of startups now I try and get them to think about that um, so I do a bit of mentoring from time to time trying to make sure people have thought about that before they sort of rush into setting it up because those are things that you forget to do all the way through until it becomes more difficult to do in the long term. Well, that's certainly something that we're on the process of, of uh, doing ourselves at uh, Higginson Strategy. Julia, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking to you today. Thank you very much indeed. Um, and it sounds like you've got a great journey ahead of you as well uh, in the next chapter of your life. So all the best for that as well. Thank you, John. It's been it's been lovely talking about it. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited for what's going to happen next. <laughs>